Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Dr. Dean for guest interview number 21. Um, I've been speaking to Dean quite a bit over the last few days in, uh, in light of recent events with the um, coronavirus outbreak and um, just looking at the implications this is going to have on us over the next few weeks, months, however long it may be. Uh, and I wanted to kind of get Dean onto the podcast to let us think a little bit more critically about the situation we're in, um, what we can potentially do ourselves, and you know the relevance of this to individuals that are in contest prep or dieting, or potentially those that are just generally assisted as well that are using certain interventions through those means. So, um, Dean, I hope you're well. I know it's a relatively high stress, high stress uh, time at the moment, but thank you for coming on. No problem at all, Cal. It's always a pleasure to come on talk uh, some interesting topics yeah it's definitely uh, it is definitely stressful times for the majority of the population in terms of either I guess the fear that's being generated in the media yeah but also the the real hype surrounding this um, medical crisis that we are actually entering into Um, I mean we can we can talk or we can postulate over certain I guess um, conspiracy theories with the current downturn in the economy, but the threat of this virus, um, when we do sit back and critically think of it, to those who could be under threat from it, it is a real, it is a real health crisis that we need to start um, thinking critically, as we said there. Yeah, because I think from from my perspective, especially speaking to a lot of people, the the tone in which people are speaking about this has changed drastically over the last kind of fortnight or so. Yeah, I mean, originally we, we seen this virus propagate, obviously, in Wuhan and China, and obviously the containment measures that they were trying to elicit there. Um, but now that it's sort of reached Europe and we've seen the implications that's generated in Italy, and obviously the... I guess the social quarantine in Italy in order to try and um, I guess lower the burden on the medical community um, we're starting to now take possibly a more serious approach versus other potential epidemics in the past like SARS or um, any of the H1N1 strains like swine flu, bird flu that we've seen in the past um, we're now really starting to get a grasp on what this virus targets in the human body and potential populations that are at risk. Um, which again, I guess if we are all healthy individuals that yes, the fear that's being generated by the media should be lessened to an extent. It's more so that we should start to actually generate a respect towards those who are at risk, that there is a, there is a graveness to this, uh, virology that we do need to consider towards say elderly populations or um, immunocompromised or people of certain disease states that for the most majority those of us who will contract it may just end up with mild symptoms or actually be asymptomatic and have no symptoms and mm. um, it's it's basically going forward we need to actually start thinking of the populations that we need to actually protect yeah and I guess that's where the whole quarantine issue is starting to come into effect. And in when we look at the rate of transmission, we're sort of somewhere in the middle of number of cases versus uh, time of spread, basically. 
And generally we see that with, with disease transmission, we're sort of waiting for this to reach its peak and then we see that the virus die off or, or fall away. Um, either through, I guess, medical intervention or again, development of innate immunity through the population. Yeah. Um, but right now as it stands, it is something that, again, in the beginning, I was a little skeptical of, of what was being reported but it is definitely something that we need to consider when we, for instance, we all have grandparents or we all have, you know, elderly relatives that for one could be at risk. So whilst we may not be affected by the outcomes of the virus, those who do contract it in those states may end up suffering a worse fate than a mild temperature, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the implications of those in our environment that's the that's the worrying thing, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, with the recent development now with the um, ACE2 receptor being this um, viral target uh, for the coronavirus or whatever you want to call it, the MARs, um, COV, whatever way you want to um, phrase this um, virus, we now understand how it is targeted in the body and what it's... Uh, Sub-target is basically, obviously, like with you know, pharmacology side of things, androgens acting on the androgen receptor. You now know that this virus acts on the ACE2 receptor. So ACE is angiotensin converting enzyme. It's an enzyme in our body. Basically, when we create ACE, it causes our blood vessels to constrict. So as we get older and we develop maybe pathological issues towards high blood pressure, we can implement an ACE inhibitor to prevent the conversion to androtensin converting enzyme from ACE1 to ACE2. Yeah. And again, that will lead then to alleviating um, the pressure that ACE puts on our, um, on our blood pressure. And obviously then the blood vessels can uh, maintain a relaxed nature. Yeah. Um, I guess what is coming to be of, uh, I guess, critical significance is we have to see where uh, what's happening with those who take um, ACE inhibitors and the expression of, I guess, you get an overexpression of um, ACE, and, uh, ACE receptors when you use an ACE inhibitor. Yeah. So currently we do need more epidemiological studies to confirm whether this is putting you at more risk or less. Because currently the data that we see out of Wuhan actually contradicts the fact of the underlying hypothesis that was published in a, a paper in the Lancet last week by two you, doctors. That was the one you sent me, wasn't it? Yeah, two doctors, one from uh, Sweden and one from Greece, collaborated on a, on a combined hypothesis just to basically put forward the question to the um, European Society of Cardiology that basically when we look at what populations are being most affected by this virus, it tends to be those who have hypertension. Yeah. And this population tends to take ACE inhibitors, which we know in animal studies upregulates ACE receptors. Yeah. So you're basically calling the question that we have this hypothesis that we do need further epidemiological data to confirm if this hypothesis is true. And if so, what risk is this now putting this, um, I guess, immunocompromised, quote-unquote, class of individuals who have hypertension? Yeah. Um, 
and they're sort of saying that A or Bs, which are androtensin receptor blockers, which again just block the receptor so the ACE can't interact, they also can lead to this upregulation in receptors. So, as I said, there's conflicting arguments. Right, we're recording again. There's a slight pause there because I had a shopping delivery, but um, we're going to crack on again. Back to you, Dean. So, basically, we, like I was saying before, we we need further epidemiological studies to basically verify which party is correct, whether ACE inhibitors lead to, again, higher uh, expression of the receptor versus this sort of protective effect that the actual data from Wuhan has shown that populations that have higher levels of receptors actually protected and have less severe outcomes of disease. Um, so I guess putting it all together, as it stands, normal population or normal healthy population, or even for example, bodybuilders, people who partake in exercise, eat healthily, etc., you would like to think that they have um, not a lower susceptibility, but a greater chance of, um, I guess, having a resilient immunity to a viral infection from COVID. Yeah. Um, I do know, like, uh, as it comes to speak, you have one party that's struggling to, basically, we've now, I guess, isolated cultures of the virus itself to try and go down the, the path of a vaccine. And then we have the other camp, which I think is makes more sense that we could get more rapid development in that we have such advancements in computational chemistry that why aren't we selectively figuring out how to actually block COVID from binding to our ACE2 receptors? Yeah. Um, so COVID, from what most people probably don't realize, is that it's an MRA virus. So basically, viruses are like parasites they require a human host to um, replicate themselves they invade our cells and basically once they invade our cells they take advantage of our um, cell replication um, machinery to again um, for example COVID is an mRNA virus so it has a, vi a viral genome comprised of mRNA which then again leads to creating you know uh, genetic copies of that virus for replication. And that's how you increase the viral load throughout the body. So when people are worried about this virus, it's not that the virus is going to kill you, it's actually what your immune system is going to do to, to get rid of this virus. Yeah. Um, and again, SARS, severe acute respiratory syndrome, and um, basically alludes to the fact that when you get a COVID infection, if you are one of these immunocompromised um, individuals, and it does penetrate into the deep mucosa, uh, the cells within the lung. Um, by the time your immune system responds to that infection, it's more than likely too late. And basically to try and compensate, your body basically throws everything but the kitchen sink at the infection to try and kill the virus. Um, and, and in that regard, it ends up having you know collateral damage either through um, mucus production within the lungs and um, making it very difficult to breed or in fact actually destroying healthy lung tissue in the process of trying to kill the virus so it's not for the fact that the actual virus is, is setting out to kill you it's actually what happens as a response of your immune system to the virus itself yeah 
um, and I guess that's where other novel therapies are currently being um, investigated. And um, I put up a post to a current research where um, remdesivir, which was a an MRA um, protease inhibitor, which they clinically trialed in Ebola, they're now trialing it in a thousand patients in China and in the US in phase three to gather some safety data. Right. And basically how that works is that it's based off one of the building blocks of mRNA. So when it incorporates itself into the viral genome, when it tries to replicate, it creates a mismatch. So obviously we know proteins have to have a specific structure when they're folded to fit correctly. Yeah. Incorporating this molecule into the, um, the structure of the mRNA synthesized by the COVID ends up being in the wrong format, basically wrong shape and doesn't fit its receptors anymore and basically halts replication of the virus. Okay. Um, but what, what's interesting there was it fell flat on its face when you look at the data for Ebola. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it progresses for COVID yeah. in terms of whether it's going to be deemed, I guess, cost effective which is where we see a lot of drugs end up failing that pharma companies don't bring it to the market because it's not cost effective because at the end of the day, they want to earn some money. Yeah. So if the effectiveness comes true, I guess it comes down to a, a cost matter and whether again, you, you're sort of then looking at global policies of who pays who and then whether, you know, it's cost effective to have it as a mass provided therapy basically. Mm. Um, but yeah, there, and then you know, there's there's a lot of um, nutraceuticals or you know natural compounds that we can have a quick chat over that have been tested in China, obviously through Western medicine of potentially fighting this virus naturally or ameliorating some of the symptoms of the the virus through uh, natural therapies. So, in light of that, like from the perspective of the general pop and people listening to this, like what, apart from self-isolation and just being very mindful and following the government guidelines and, you know, upregulating what should already be hygienic, you know, practices in your lifestyle anyway. Um, what, what should we be focusing on nutritionally and um, within other parts of our lives to just put ourselves in the best possible position to, you know, get through these next few months in good health? Yeah, well, I mean, like, from, from a first overall standpoint, like, the very top of the, the hierarchy should be a focus on vitamin A and vitamin D because of how that has a synergy towards how it supports, how our immune response, um, you know, targets pathogens. And if you look at a lot of population, either through um, genetic variants in um, the BCOM gene, which um, is for the beta-carotene, one of the beta-carotene receptors, um, Basically, a lot of the population may have unknown polymorphisms to vitamin A affinity and not actually be generating enough active vitamin A, which is known as retinol palmitate. So we all think about beta carotene, um, but it's actually retinol palmitate, which our body needs as the active form of vitamin A. Um, so if you look up the WHO website, you'll be able to find out what the exact requirements is for certain age groups from not years of age up to elderly and that's definitely something that people should consider having available 
within their home is vitamin A supplementation. Um, vitamin D, obviously, with how we succumb to darkness in our winter cycle in Europe or within the UK, um, again, vitamin D intake, we should be trying to aim to keep our vitamin D levels somewhere around uh, 50, which with supplementing, you're talking somewhere around 2,000 I use three times a week. Yeah. Um, that, that generally is quite well known to be safe at bringing our vitamin D levels up into that desired range. Obviously, if we had access to more sunlight, it would be more beneficial to get out and do your walk in the sunshine. But for those who don't have the luxury or are stuck in a day job from nine to five, um, again, vitamin D and vitamin A. Um, after that, then, you're sort of getting into the more spe specialized um, nutraceuticals or natural therapies that would look at, again, first off, either supporting the proliferation of your immune system cells so that you make more of them, or I guess um, support any of the cofactors that are needed for specific enzymes that are important in um, immune cell activation. So, for example, um, we could look at your zinc and copper or selenium intake, and then we could group possibly vitamin C in there as well. So we know that zinc, again, like magnesium, is a uh, very dependent mineral in our body for quite a lot of processes. Um, specifically, again, zinc has quite an effect within our um, nervous system, but also within the immune cells. So again, we, we require a specific intake of zinc to help support proliferation of our immune cells. So we should be again looking at our zinc and copper intake, which again, most diets may not be supplementing to the correct extent. Copper is quite a difficult element to get from diet. Um, and then vitamin C and selenium. So selenium, again, is another mineral that is involved as a cofactor for peroxidized enzymes. What they do is they help to, um, I guess, clean up any of the mess when we create reactive oxygen species. So we have immune cells <coughs> which generate these reactive oxygen species to help kill off infection. Um, we all hear about free radicals. So these specific cells make these free radicals to kill off and um, basically invade pathogens, destroy their cell membranes. Mm. And so we need a specific intake of selenium, somewhere around 100 micrograms per day to, again, support um, the production of these peroxidases. And in vitamin C, again, when we generate these reactive oxygen species, um, vitamin C has been shown to help in the recycling of them. So again, oral vitamin C or oral ascorbic acid doesn't have very good uh, bioavailability. Um, but what we can do there is we can incorporate it into a liposome through liposomal vitamin C. And basically the liposome then gets uptaken into our cells directly and the liposome gets um, dispersed, delivering the um, ascorbic acid, the vitamin C, into our cells directly to, again, supply um, electrons to replenish um, when we generate these reactive oxygen species. Mm. Um, then from there, I guess uh, we could look at, you know, glutathione and then acetylcysteine, whichever is more cost effective for people. Um, N-acetylcysteine, 
will provide uh, cysteine to feed into um, glutathione transferase. It, it basically helps the recycling of um, glutathione. So it, it's not directly supporting with more glutathione, it's just given the, I guess, the building block for your body to make more glutathione. And again, we know that NAC intake in elderly patients is shown to one reduce um, the time of influenza infection, but also aids in, um, I guess, acting as a mucolytic and helping to break down mucus. So I guess uh, a novel therapy we could look at there if someone was uh, trying to battle a, um, I guess, a, a mucosal induced um, immune response would be potentially um, IV NAC which obviously is not approved, but it's just an idea. Um, and then the other side, we have liposomal glutathione, which, again, is going to aid in directly replenishing your glutathione levels. Um, mm. Again, what you're doing there is supporting phase two liver metabolism, which, again, um, our glutathione stores get depleted um, in terms of when we're trying to um, clean up uh, reactive oxygen species, as I mentioned there a minute ago. So again, something like 1,200 to 1,800 milligrams of NAC or uh, three to 400 milligrams of liposomal glutathione um, would be a similar efficacious dose. Um, then to go from there, I guess um, beta-glucans are another thing. Um, if anyone has followed when i done the formulation with Trained by JP Nutrition, Wellmune was a beta-glucan complex which I put into MPS Max because there was quite a lot of data to show that it helped to support IgA secretions. So um, immunoglobulin, uh, immunoglobulin A is an um, immune modulator that's produced by mucosal membranes, which again helps to protect or, or signal to the immune system. Um, and beta-glucans have been shown to help upregulate the secretions of these IGAs. Um, so again, that's another useful thing to potentially consider for those who are actually in a contest prep, which yeah. is what I know we want to discuss in a bit. Um, basically because of when you reach a certain level of body fat, there is this trade-off then between nutrient intake and nutrient utilization that leaves you susceptible to, um, I guess, um, infections due to a lowered immune response so again beta glucans may help that by again protecting the mucosal membranes like your throat or your nasal cavity which come into contact directly with uh, viruses or bacteria to start yeah um and then i guess there, there's really other uh, exotic things like high dose spirulina high dose glucosamine and high dose ala all have some level of extent of research to show um, how they support our immune system either through uh, antiviral signaling pathways or uh, acting as, I guess, uh, um, oxidase inhibitors. So again, there's three compounds for people to go look at the literature and deduce what you want to take from it. I guess spirulina is in quite a lot of greens powder, so people may be taking in a sufficient quantity of that already, which yeah. is great. And then I guess the Mac Daddy of them all, which seems to be going around social media at the moment, and people are having 
um, I guess, not heated discussions, but um, uh, very correct and, I guess, um, responsible discussions over the use of elderberry extract. Is that, that's uh, Sam, uh, Sam Buco, right? Yeah, so Sam Bucol is the active component of elderberries. Um, and basically has been shown to be a very potent antiviral due to the fact that it can elicit or upregulate our immune modulatory responses to the production of cytokines. So again, cytokines are these inflammatory messengers which alert the immune system. Basically with Sambucol, most people have balanced immune systems known as Th1 and Th2 balanced innate immune systems. That's, um, you have your Th, um, they're a form of a T cell. So you have Th1 and Th2, normally they are balanced. Th1, as far as I can remember from the top of my head, um, acts as a cell-mediated immunity. So basically it monitors what's happening um, on a cellular level. And then your Th2 acts on an antibody level by, by monitoring what's going on in the body. In certain individuals, you can actually have either Th1 dominance or Th2 dominance. One of the two systems actually preferably dominates over the other. And the issue there is that elderberry or sambucol may actually exacerbate that dominance and actually make you feel more unwell as opposed to helping to support your balanced immune system. Right. So again, that's something again that people need to consider when they are going to use elderberry is that if it does make you feel worse, then it's probably an indication of, um, I guess, an unbalanced immune system. Yeah. Um, other compounds that share the same sort of, um, I guess, um, Th1, Th2 um, imbalance or dominance in whatever regard you want to call it would be echinacea. Yep. So certain people find echinacea works brilliantly and then other people find that makes them feel terrible. And again, it's all down to this Th1, Th2 dominance, which without a um, very extensive blood panel, it's quite difficult to assess what, what form you are without this sort of, I guess, um, feedback based on how you feel from taking a supplement. Yeah. So that, that's sort of like the list of what we know at the moment towards, I guess, um, supporting the immune system and nutraceuticals. If we um, sort of take a step back towards um, COVID, there, there are new papers coming out of China nearly uh, every couple of days basically on natural therapies, which could potentially interfere with this ACE2 receptor. Um, two well-known ones would be hesperidin, which you know is in grapefruits, or uh, glycerin, which is in a uh, licorice. Right. But again, there's more research there required for to again warrant the use of these um, nutraceuticals basically to combat this disease or yeah. virus. <clears throat> but it's promising nonetheless that people are being um, relentless in their pursuit of, um, I guess, strategies to combat this uh, infection. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of those within contest prep now, which there will be many, like what, what are the considerations for those within power deficit within a slightly more um, you know, generally sympathetic state in that darting phase? Like are they 
a population at a greater risk? Like, do they need to be aware of this? Like, what's the future of that? So I guess we, we need to consider this and um, when we look at the overall view of, I guess, adipose within our body. So adipose itself is actually an endocrine organ. So it, it produces its own hormones. Fat tissue produces its own hormones. So we know, we've all heard of leptin, which is, you know, the, the counter um, hormone to ghrelin. So leptin provides satiety, whereas ghrelin makes us feel hunger. Yeah. When we have high levels of leptin, that inhibits lipogenesis, so we can't make more fat cells, and it increases glucose metabolism. So obviously this is where the importance of when we do refeeds in a contest prep scenario, we're trying to balance leptin all the time to make sure that we're never passing into, um, I guess, starvation mode, where when we're in starvation, we potentially then start to see um, a diponectin start to increase. So obviously, a diponectin would, um, I guess, be the opposite to leptin in that a diponectin causes fat accumulation. So we have this sort of, you know, homeostasis of, on one hand, we could have a potential obese individual um, suffering with, you know, an active immune system due to inflammation being generated from the adipose. Um, that can again, I guess, um, exhibit, um, you know, higher levels of leptin, which can lead to inflammation. And we have the other side of we have starvation, where we could have someone who has, an, I guess, a hypoactive immune system, where basically um, we have this uh, diponectin being produced, which again is anti-inflammatory which I guess um, if we look at what's happening in the contest prep, we're heading more towards that adiponectin production than leptin because of how we're depleting uh, adipose. Yeah. Um, now, what ends up happening is when we end up at that very, um, I guess, I don't really like to use the term starved because obviously we're, we're, we're not in a, I guess, concentration camp setting whereby we're going through the three phases of starvation um, some people end up getting to that sort of stage where they've overcooked things and they end up you know completely depleting their fat and then obviously we have proteolysis happening where we're breaking down muscle tissue and um, but for the majority of the part we're just tipping over and towards the favor of i guess um, an overly lean physique where we have less adipose and obviously that starvation then can impair um, functionality issues to the immune system. Yeah. Um, so obviously when we, when we get to this stage of, I guess we'll call it quote unquote star starvation, um, you end up with reductions in energy expenditure, in body temperature, your metabolic rate goes down. Um, and you, all this while you have AMPK trying to, um, I guess, uh, trying to balance everything out so for basic understanding people have always heard of mTOR being the anabolic process in the body and AMPK being this um, I guess uh, energy producing state to support when our body is fasted basically it's it, it's like the modulator for energy systems in our body yeah um, and then if we take a step back 
when we are in this contest to prep uh, phase, people fail to realize that actually how much energy your immune system requires to, I guess, function daily. So from a basic standpoint or a basic immunological standpoint, you have, you know, your two systems of your immune system, maybe your innate immune system, which is, you know, on alert, basically, you have these soldiers that are constantly watching what's going on. Yeah. And then you have the adaptive immunity, which is sort of like the reinforcements in the back that have been in battle before and know how to deal with crisis. The innate immune system um, completely is dependent on glycolysis. So if we have a lack of glucose intake, um, and particularly, which was interesting, just in the literature, um, glutamine intake, you're, I guess, a disadvantage of producing less neutrophils. So neutrophils are like um, one of the first line defenses in your body and that they generate these reactive oxygen species that we spoke about earlier to kill off invading pathogens. So if you're in a, an energy-deprived state, you may not be making enough neutrophils, which again leaves you susceptible to infection. Yeah. And that's sort of where we start to see people possibly succumbing to infection as we get towards the you know last six weeks of a prep, whether it's through you know a, a virus or a viral infection, where it's a full blown uh, bacterial infection. Um, and then you know on the other side of it, then our macrophages, the guys who are like the mini Pac Men, they rely on fatty acid oxidation to fuel them. So we need to take careful consideration that, of course. When we're in a contest prep phase, we need to support, I guess, energy demands towards training and, you know, daily functions. Yeah. The thing that needs to be considered in the background is that we are actually never tipping ourselves over the edge into this, you know, I guess, hypoactive immune state due to, I guess, lack of nutrients. Um, you know, it's not, it's, not, it's not that there's a lack, there's a lack of nutrients present. It's that the body at some point um, basically generates an inability to use those nutrients um, basically because of we see the shift in leptin happen, mm. which again comes back to what we spoke about a few minutes ago on the importance of refeeding, not only from, I guess, a diet adherence perspective, but also again from a hormonal basis and making sure that the immune system stays functioning correctly. Yeah. Um, I guess what was interesting, if you look again, the literature, when you give, we know when we give exogenous leptin to individuals, you know, it prolongs, you know, a dieting phase, you know, this whole, um, I guess, um, what you wanted to try and do with, um, you know, obese individuals was to give them injections of leptin to prolong them into this dieting phase. But basically when they give starved mice exogenous leptin, they see in um, their B cells and their T cells, the numbers of those um, immune cells go up in response to the left. So we now start to see um, why it may be uh, beneficial again to incorporate regular refeeding as we get further into a, into a contest prep yeah. to support this uh, the energy processes of the immune system. Mm. And obviously then, if we take this whole pandemic into effect, if you have a susceptible immune system and you don't have an efficient innate immune system, 
again, if COVID invades your body, your innate immune system is not going to have a chance to respond to the infection until it's too late. Yeah. Um, so I guess those who are on prep, who are a few weeks out and you're, you are into the last phases of removing all the adipose possible, just be mindful of when you are out in public, um, you know, transmission of the disease or the, the virus, making sure that you're taking precautionary steps to make sure you don't get infected. Yeah. Because again, while we're talking about elderly populations and immunocompromised, you have effectively immunocompromised yourself um, from your, your, your dieting phase, basically. Yeah. And I know when we're always chatting, we always go and I'm always able to offer some anecdotal experience. And 2012, I got pneumonia a week before I compete due to where my body fat level was. Yeah. So, you know, you are at this very risky, you know, state of immunity when you are pushing for low levels of condition. Mm. Um, which wasn't fun. <laughs> I can't imagine it was. No. <laughs> so but, it, but, go on. No, I was going to say, but anyway, that, that, it, that's something that needs to be really carefully considered, you know, in, in light of what's going on at the moment for, for people who are going to prep in the next few weeks. Yeah. And, and, and managing, managing the back end of that prep very closely as well, right? Yeah, exactly. And again, that's more so, again, probably why we need to, people are complaining about, um, you know, crowds not being able to go to these events to watch and whatever. But if we really do take a step back and view what's happened to these individuals' immune systems, you know, if you allowed, for example, the Arnold Classic in Ohio, if you allowed a huge crowd into spectate with a potential group of immunocompromised individuals based on how they've prepped themselves, yeah. you know, you're, you're setting yourselves up for disaster. So, yes, people are disappointed because of cancellation of such events or no public access, but it is for the benefit of these competitors and their health. Yeah. Well, given the given the potential footfall that those like, for example, body power, for example, you know, if you've got I don't know how many people it is, but a hundred thousand people going over the NEC in two days' time, it's um it's a blissful nightmare, isn't it? It is, and I mean, it, it. you just, again, that's not something that people are thinking about when they're complaining that, you know, this event got cancelled or, you know, you know, my parents or my partner can't come and watch me compete because of the, the event is closed. But at the end of the day, it's sort of for your benefit. Um, yeah. And hopefully that sort of, you know, you know, shines a light on a possible explanation as opposed to just blanket statement of, you know, we need to quarantine people. It's actually, you, you may fall into this immunocompromised category yourselves. Yeah. And I guess then, in line of that, while we were speaking about the, the ACE inhibitors, um, enhanced bodybuilders who are using off-label use of lisinopril as an ACE inhibitor to control blood pressure. Um, I guess based on the epidemiological data at the moment, it may not be wise for those who are using it to continue using it Yeah. in an off-label manner unless they are um, being prescribed it through their GP. Yeah. Um, 
because again, we, we still don't understand the ramifications of this new research that is, is coming out constantly, like I said, whether you are putting yourself further at risk from your use of the ACE inhibitor. Yeah. Not to, uh, we didn't purposely mean this to fear monger, but it's more so to just give uh, people a little more clarity, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I sort of held off until the other day, you know, I was sort of idly sitting by and watching what's, what's unraveling with um, the coronavirus. And then obviously, like I said, I had a level of skepticism to it. Um, but in light of those who are probably at risk, it is in our best interest to try and protect them. Yeah. Um, like I said, the, the fear-based scaremongering that's going on about the severity of it, it, it I... To me, again, that, that's sort of where my skepticism came from. And um, I think if we all do our best to keep our um, immune systems in as optimal a position as possible, we are going to most likely reduce any severe symptoms unless, again, um, ACE2 expression dictates how severe you're going to get the illness. Yeah, which is worth adding that I imagine... 99% if not more of the people listening to this podcast will fall into the quote of you know the people the people that look after themselves the people that are interested in their own health so you know. yeah yeah like I mean it's just several people have been tagging me on Instagram like what triggered off my rant on this whole thing about COVID was when I just went to the supermarket to get food it wasn't even to like wasn't even to stock up it was just to buy food and I was stuck in the queue for 50 minutes and I just stood there just watching people go by with their trolleys. And uh, I'm not being uh, ageist in this regard, but the general population I was shopping within this um, supermarket was like late 50s to you know late 60s. They were loading up their trolleys with you know frozen chips, goujons, packs of biscuits. Meanwhile, I went in and I got veg no problem completely stocked to the brim all fresh veg there it's like this is great went down to the fridge thought i'm not going to get any turkey or chicken well i was wrong the fridges were completely packed with meat it's like what's going on here people are panicking over an epidemic and yet you're not stocking up on fresh food yeah um which again is like the fundamentals like i said from the start i'm not going to condemn like i said you know, we don't understand people's socioeconomic status and there is this whole thing surrounding budget supermarkets and whatever else, which is beyond the scope of um, my uh, expertise. But just as a simple observation, coronavirus doesn't affect animals and it doesn't affect vegetables. So why are we avoiding fresh food? Yeah. Like, I know we're not going to have to be able to sustain ourselves for two weeks indoors but there's nothing stopping you from buying fresh food and freezing it as opposed to buying a bag of chips <laughs> yeah like it just defied me it was just like this just does not make sense i, I could probably live just as healthily with uh, quote unquote um single ingredient foods versus your processed frozen stuff and still freeze it and still be able to sustain myself for two weeks yeah i think it just comes down to a general nutritional awareness and be the immediate focus was right quarantine shelf life what's going to last the longest put it in your basket and probably what's the cheapest as well so um 
yeah, it's I, I had the same situation the other day when I went to when I went to Sainsbury's, but um, yeah. So, just people take care of themselves. And like I said, the foundations of the immune immune system. We've given you know a, a good list of key nutraceuticals that people can go and research if they want to utilize them. Yeah. Um, again, it's just about being intelligent. Um, the, again, I guess a closing remark is that although people are going on about hygiene practices and washing hands and sanitizing surfaces, not to put again, like this, this isn't fear or panic, whatever, but this virus is airborne. It, it, transmit, it transmits through um, air droplets. Yeah. So regardless of you being diligent with your hand washing and your sanitization, if an infected person comes into your vicinity within six feet, there's a likelihood that you're going to be infected. Yeah. So again, just bear in mind that that's the whole underlying principle of why we do this quarantine period in order to try and halt the transmission of the disease to try and keep the number of cases down. The hygiene is very important, but don't let it undermine your vigilance towards crowds, basically. Um, as Morgan, and I love when Morgan says things like this, she basically just said to me the other day when I came back from the supermarket, why do they still have all the trolleys and baskets in the supermarkets? Well, it's a good idea, actually, because it will stop people. It will stop people. Um... So, so if you take away the baskets and the trolleys, you can't hoard food. You can only get what you need, and it's sort of like you know, yes, you might have to make a couple of trips, but it'll stop massive crowds from congregating in there. Like what I said, I was standing in the queue for fifty minutes through the day instead of getting in and getting out. Yeah. But such is a panic that we've been uh, induced to, to fall into. Mm. Right. Well, uh, we'll leave it there before we, before we get into uh, <laughs> any political discussion. Political, yeah, I was going to say political debate. <laughs> um, all right, mate. Thank you for uh, giving up your time this evening to talk about that. I uh, really appreciate that. No, it's been great. It's been nice to, to have a nice civil discussion. And again, people just be safe and again use some common sense to protect the ones that you love um, and unlike what you're being led to believe if we all do our part to this there is no reason to believe why you're going to lose loved ones as a certain head figure is saying yeah um, but it is down to our responsibility at the end of the day yeah everyone's got to do their bit haven't they Exactly. All right, Dean. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on, and um, we will uh, we'll catch you guys soon. Catch you soon. Thanks, Kel.